Oh, hello. Uh, Darren Clarkson Podcast. You guys doing all right? Right, we all know this, don't we? We know how this works. You know, we have a introduction, and I normally go, I don't do introductions anymore, I listen to an early podcast. And it's no different. It's a whitewater kayaking podcast. Sometimes talk about ultra running. Uh, and I sometimes drink tea and coffee. Not drinking tea and coffee today, yeah, because as you can probably hear, I'm speaking dead quick, because I've had a massive, massive bucket load of espresso. It's Baltic outside. Right, what are we talking about? I'm going to talk about some car skills. Over the last few weeks, I've been chatting with some friends, all competent kayakers, and we've been surmising. And it is just a, a you know, discussions in tea shops type, type of surmising. We've been thinking this present crop of kayaks, the kayak designs, are amazing. Like the uh, the advancement in designs are just beautiful to see. They're making the elite of the paddling world navigate rapids that even a decade ago were probably impossible. And that's an amazing thing. You know, the elite paddlers are utilising the design features of these boats to their full effect. And I'm sure that they will continue to push the envelope, you know, uh, in these design features. But we've also surmised, and remember, only a Sith deals in absolutes, and, you know, we're not Sith. But it appears that the more beginner intermediate paddler is not progressing in the same way that they did in the past. They're not getting worse per se, but they're maybe struggling. Boats that have got huge kick rockers, huge volume, look after you really, really well on class two, class three. Like you can float down it, you won't get water on your skirt. Perhaps, you know, like, you can just bounce down. You can make some minor mistakes and the boat will really look after you. You'll make your eddies. You might scramble into that eddy, but you're not going to tip over the eddy line because the boat's huge, all that sort of stuff. But what what we are surmising now, and again, not an absolute, it's just a tea shop summary, campfire summary, if you will, that people are now getting their comeuppance or their beatering or whatever terms we want to use for what happens when you make mistakes on harder water now I remember my first comeuppance back in the days of my dancers were on class 2 you know I'd hit a stopper with the wrong angle I'd flip I'd think I was being tossed around like a rag doll well really I wasn't because it's class 2 you know I'd tossed a little bit and I'd wash out and I'd swim and back in the eddy and get all panicked and think it was the biggest hole in the world. But I learnt and progressed on that on that basis, on that class two come up and class two beating, on that class three beating. I didn't have a boat that got me through that class two without that. I had to learn the skills, the sort of benchmark skills there. And then by the time I'd progressed to class three, I had the benchmark skills already dialed in class two and so on and so forth. So I could sort of foresee the beatings a little bit, a little bit. 
and I think a lot of the panellists don't see that because the first time they get that comeuppance uh, is much later on. Now, I'm not saying that's for everyone, obviously. Uh, and getting a comeuppance, comeuppance, what a word, getting a, a sort of uh, a, a harsh lesson in hydrology, because that's basically what it is, getting that harsh lesson in hydrology, you know, happens to all of us at every level because that's how we learn and develop you know like that's that's it you know we we will at some point push our abilities to this point where we're no longer within our ability and we learn either really quickly uh, because the river hands us a lesson or we rectify it with a big toolbox of skills that we carry right five minutes of, of rattling about that and I'm just going to park that idea and it, it's an idea, it's a podcast it is not, these are just my Yorkshire ramblings from, you know, 30 years of kayaking now I am sure that some people are naturally gifted and can get in a boat and roll within the first lesson and it doesn't take them a lot to grasp hydrology it doesn't take them a lot to understand river leading but the experience lacks now I'm noticing some paddlers in Britain and it may be the same in Europe and the US but I'm going to speak for Britain because I'm in Britain at the moment I'm not in the Himalaya I'm not in the US I'm not in Europe well I'm I'm in Europe because I quite like to be part of Europe but I'm on Monkey Island The rivers have been quite high recently, and still are, which is cool. But paddlers have, lots of paddlers have been ingrained to do tight eddy turns, slalom-esque eddy turns, you know, snapping those boats into eddies, snapping those boats out on eddy lines, S-turns, you know, edge transitions, really cool low-volume stuff. You know, and we've spent a lot because we have a principally low volume paddling in Britain, and we're conditioned like that. And then people tend not to have a sort of understanding of when the rivers get higher that you cannot snap out of that eddy line or snap into that eddy because the eddy line, the eddy fence is wider. So if you just snap on a bow rudder to the top of that eddy, you're going to bob around on that eddy fence. You need to go over that eddy line well within the eddy before you turn your boat. You might have to boss your rail around a little bit. Some people listening to this, boss the rail around. What does he mean? Maybe you've got to load. Again, load. Maybe you've got to wait. Load, wait, activate. All these sort of words that, you know, I'm sorry, some sort of chat bot can probably think of. Uh, engage that rail to get that boat to where it needs to be. We don't just bob around, and it's hard to describe that movement in a podcast. It's also hard to describe it on the water. It's about feel, really. You'll feel your boat catch. You'll feel your boat on the rail. We do a lot of bow, you know, we teach a lot of bow rudders. We teach a lot of slalom-inspired turns, which weights the front of the boat on the on the bow rudder. Of course it does. Uh, we release the back of the boat with pivot on the front. 
How many of us pivot on the back unless we're doing a dip turn? You know, uh, how many of us like in a big fat clean boat use the back rail of our boat and release the front and sort of allow our front to move freer? Pivoting, you know, round near the hips somewhere. It's an interesting thing to think about. How many of us think about our stroke in three parts? I do, but how many of us do think about our stroke in three parts? You might think about it in one part or six parts or any. I think about it in three. I have my catch phase. I have my sort of stroke phase, my power phase almost. And I have my release phase. Now, I know that for me, what works for me on feel my catch phase is not as far forward as perhaps it should be. And that's something that I've developed over the years. It works for me. Textbook, I know, if a photograph, it's not as far forward as, you know, Jessica, you know, like, I was going to say Jessica Fox. It's not as far forward as a slalom. Not as far back as somebody like Corey Bow, you know, a boomer, you know, like, uh, it sits sort of, between my knee and my ankle on my front. Uh, but I release quite far back a lot. Uh, I don't release at the hip. I release a little bit further back sometimes. But that's, is that over-processing soaks? Perhaps it is. Yeah, perhaps it is. How do we run these bigger rivers, guys? You know, how do we look at that stuff, you know? We look at these, these sort of bigger rivers and people should be taking the sort of shallow river mentality into these bigger rivers. And I, I don't think people do it in the same way. You know, when a river's swollen, flood stage almost, spate stage, monsoon paddling in the Himalaya, are people as confident of being on the outside of bends for visibility? Are people as confident? Low volume, maybe you can be on outside of bends making eddies, you know, like, uh, behind boulders and stuff. But when you're losing those eddies, uh, and your eddies on the insides of bends, are people paddling to insides of bends to get eddies? Rather than staying floating in the outside of the bend. On insides of bends, you're going to lose your visibility. Outside of bends, you may lose your eddies. May. You may not. There may be any features. And, uh, there are quite often any features, but there's going to be a lot of flow going down the outside of that bend. How are we going to sit? And this is a question I don't want to answer because I can't have an answer because it's a podcast. For me, when I'm in the outside of a bend, my boat is pointing the direction of that bend already. I do not sit pointing like at 12 o'clock, I'm pointing at 10, 11 o'clock with my nose. And I've noticed a lot of people, maybe the difference between an experienced paddler and a less experienced paddler is that angle. This an experienced paddler will sit on that angle way earlier. They won't sit at like 12 o'clock and then turn the boat at the end to the bend. They're already on the turn. They're already on that charging arc, for want of a better word. If you don't know charging arc, uh, do a Google. Uh, 
squirt boat term used in slightly different context but will sort of get you thinking but you're sitting on the outside of the bend with that you've got that lateral momentum haven't you? you you can move diagonally you don't have to like go with the flow you're cutting the grain of the flow it's the way i see it and the way i see it as well is that you need to have a blade in the water and i'm not saying for people that know me that you need to be repetitive strokes because i'm pretty stroke efficient i think now people can message me and say dad you know you're a lazy bugger uh you don't do fuck all strokes pardon my french uh and your strokes are not that important but i will use the strokes i need when i need them and i will float the rest of the time but if i float i very rarely uh don't know where my blades are yes sometimes i sit my blades out of the water and that's a bad habit but i should really have my my leading blade my downstream blade in the flow sort of using it as like a a rudder if i need and i like that it's the blade that i activate first uh, when paddling if it's just sat there doing nothing or floating above the water if it's on the upstream side and i'm using my upstream blade as my stability blade that already presupposes that i'm leaning upstream when i hit a wave because to activate that blade if i'm on a rock like a wave like a haystack wave for example it the wave if i don't think about it uh and it's not instinctive will rock my boat slightly upstream or my blade is at water level and a, a crashing wave uh on the upstream side you know like i've risen over it and i've come out of the other side of the wave but it may crash on or be turbulent or funny water may catch my blade which will then load my upstream rail if i'm not thinking if i'm busy chin wagging or looking at mandarin ducks or military aircraft or whatever so i always try and have a downstream blade sort of floating around uh whether it's in the water or close to the water and it should be in a position where i can activate it but these are my takeaways my takeaways they may not be your takeaways but they are food for thought outside the bends moving the run the river outside of the bend if you're going to go into an eddy on the inside of the bend you're going to kill you uh, the line of line of sight you're going to kill your visibility <sighs> visibility is key man like you have to know you have to know your visibility never run a rapid without your visibility you know it, it's it's okay in my book to float on the outside of a bend you get your visibility and then track into an in, uh, an inside bend eddy you've lost your visibility but you actually saw it uh you know seconds earlier before you made the move that's that's okay i'm okay with that personally i'm really okay with coming out of any lines at speed not turning on the eddy line like lots of paddlers tend to do to lots of paddlers i think it's maybe and i don't know the answer it may be because in the europe uh that's how we learn we learn from like our background is a lot of slalom and we learn from that so we turn a lot on the on the dufek stroke or the the barrel stroke we also like when i learned to paddle we turned on the low brace turn which is actually really effective uh for stability yeah slows you right down it's not very dynamic 
you know, not very dynamic at all. Interest me, you know, how how things change and adapt. It's enough waffle, really, about strokes and running flood stage. But let's just go back and look at what we take on flood rivers. We take a big sense of knowledge. We need knowledge. I don't want people running flood stage creeks. Like, it's not a thing. Uh, especially with fallen wood. Like, creeks in Britain are, are burns, as we call them up north. Ditches. If you're running those with lots of water in, uh, are you going to have a lot of fallen wood? Yeah, probably. Like, fallen wood's going to be a thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously, if you're running it super high up in the moors, then there's going to be very little fallen wood because there's no trees. But, you know, woodland areas, high water runs, there's probably going to be some wood. Do we carry rescue saws with us? If we do carry a rescue saw, where is it? Where's our rescue saw? Is it in our PFD? Is it in our boat? Is it in the front of our boat, back of our boat? Where is it? Don't want to scare people, but it is something to think about. Okay, rescue source, quite important stuff. If we are running flood, what I'd call a flood ditch, ditch that we normally bounce bounce down in uh, elbow pads and full faces, but it's got water in it. Do we still scout as much? Do we have the option to scout, or do we lose all our eddies? There's nothing wrong with walking the whole river. Uh, before you get on there's nothing wrong with giving yourself markers uh, if you need to like in the past i have left markers on trees that i've collected you know like put a bit of webbing tape around a tree at a crook's point because you know when you're traveling down a, a ditch rivers uh like the features of trees tend to uh sort of melt into one and it's hard to differentiate one tree from another so if you put like a bit of tape or a fluorescent vest on the tree to spot a hazard it's a really good thing take it off when you leave uh, but when you scout there's nothing wrong with doing that I don't think I think that's a really good thing don't be going around spray painting stuff but you know take stuff off you can leave uh, you can take away quite important stuff really speaking you know really speaking in the UK at the moment, it's it's winter time. It's cold. What time are you guys getting on the water? Are you getting on the water at nine, ten, eleven? Are you meeting your mates for a cup of tea at ten o'clock, and then getting on the water at lunchtime? Are you getting on for dawn patrol? How are you going about this? How are you getting on? These are important factors, I think, for river running in the winter. We lose light early on in the UK, like we're losing light and temperatures from about half past three onwards. Now, if you get on the water at nine and not ten, you give yourself an extra hour of light and an extra hour of warmth later in the day. If you get on at eight, so you know the same, it builds, doesn't it? Obviously, you don't get on before the sunrise. If you are getting on later in the day, it may be a tad warmer at the at getting on time but it's going to be colder at the get off time when you're tired it also 
and please like you argue against me on this one it also means that when you are tired and getting caught tired at the later in the day and getting colder you also lose that window of light if you had an issue later in the day because it pushes everything back if you're doing multiple rivers in the day are you getting on a river with 20 minutes of daylight left knowing that the river normally takes you half an hour and you're going to gamble the last 10 minutes are you getting on a river at half past three because it's not going to get dark for half past four it's bitterly cold you've paddled all day but you really want to run this river like really want to run it because it's in condition and you know you've not done it before in condition in good condition are you going to get on you know you're a bit cold you're a bit tired you've run all day you've not eaten properly are you going to get on if you're getting on what how are you mitigating against that how are you like dealing with that have you given yourself enough lightly away if an incident happens? What are the likelihoods of an incident happening later in the day when it's cold and getting dark and you're rushing? Does that up the sort of factors for incidents to happen? Rushing, cold, tired, hungry. Does that, does that up the chances? I'd argue it does. Okay, I'd really argue it does. I'm 47. At half past three, I want tea and biscuits. Okay. I'm not in my 20s. In my 20s, I probably would have got on. But I've learned that actually, if something happens, not only are you putting yourself in issue, you're putting your team in, in, in issues that you don't need to put them in. You know. But if you can mitigate against it, crack on like. If you can say, actually, we've got enough energy in our tanks. We're warm enough. I've put an extra layer on. My skills are up there. My team abilities up there, and that's fine. Absolutely cool. It's been a bit of a rattly podcast, hasn't it? But I am concerned about as paddlers running flood stage, spare high water runs, using skills from ditches, uh, and people running ditches in high water and not scouting properly. I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that stuff, uh, and rightly so. And I. I think I'd be sort of uh, not the paddle I am if I didn't raise it in a podcast because it, it does concern me that people get caught on trees. It does concern me that people are getting on rivers way above their comfort zones and losing boats and kit and worse. Be safe, guys and girls. You know, be in this sport for a good time and a long time because it's an amazing sport. Take baby steps when you need. No one needs to rush you at any time. Process well. And I will catch you on the flip side, literally speaking. Catch you soon.